Hey friends, Andy Jenkins here with the Warrior Hope Podcast brought to you by Crosswinds Foundation for Faith and Culture, where every week on the podcast, we connect veterans to their next mission. That's the goal. We have two obstacles, two things we're trying to overcome in that. The most common ones being isolation and unresolved hurts, or as you can see, I wrote there a couple weeks ago, unprocessed pain of the past. We really believe that it's important for you to identify that next mission. Here's why it matters because you were created by God for a purpose, and that purpose most often affects and blesses other people, as we've seen some through some of the stories that we've shared in ways that there's no way that you can imagine. Those groups of people that you affect are your family, your friends, and fellow service members. That all leads me to the topic of today, which is we're, we're really discussing this idea of what chaplains do in the military, and we're going to end up with the topic of just war. Now, in the previous episode, we referred to, gave you some deep dive teaching on the topic of moral injury. That's when guilt enters in, shame enters in. Sometimes it takes the form of even survivor's guilt. And why did I make it? Why did someone else not? not? Today, I'm speaking with my friend, Lieutenant Colonel Don Mallon, who was a chaplain. And Don served in the theater of combat multiple times and brings a unique perspective to all of this. So let's, let's just roll right into the conversation and then I'll be back at the end as always with a couple of my takeaways and we'd love for you then to share with me some of yours. Here's Lieutenant Colonel Don Mallon. Okay, I've got my friend Don Mallon here. Don is a uh, retired lieutenant colonel that spent over three decades uh, with the U.S. military. Uh, uniquely, Don was a chaplain, and so he brought really the side to uh, battle, to combat, to deployment as as a soldier. Uh, simultaneously, also as really uh, chaplains, are really pastors there, uh, aren't they, Don? They are. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, a chaplain has. Uh has three roles to encourage the living, to, to help the wounded or the hurting, and, and to honor the dead. And so all chaplains have those basic three roles and then their own faith background will, fill, will, will add the content to that, how they go about encouraging the living. We do that through, uh, do that through having services, do that through visiting. I would often go and walk through the various units uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan and visit with the men and women who were there, uh, invite them to chapel with times, sometimes just get into a good, uh, uh, a good discussion about what's going on or, or wanting to go home and yeah. you know, how many more days before we go home, something like that. So, uh, all right. So, encouraging the living. Number two was was uh, was helping or uh, uh, helping the wounded. Okay. <laughs> and that so I would visit places where where there were some wounded or hurting soldiers on, and it's not just the physical wounds there, but also the emotional wounds, the spiritual wounds too that they're going they're going through. And then the last is honoring the dead. That is having memorial services for, for the men and women who, 
who may have been killed over there and, uh, and aid the units being able to grieve because it's hard when you're in a combat zone to grieve a friend or to take that time to grieve a friend. So you need a set time that you can do that. And so the chaplain is, uh, his role is to, is to help them do that grieving at that time. Well, I imagine that's a, a pretty important element right there, the, the, the whole grieving, uh, not just the honor side for the person who, you know, has fallen, um, made the ultimate sacrifice, but also the grieving part for the, the person who is still there, the people who, who remain, um, in, in part, because if you don't grieve it, you can't, you can't heal it. You can't, you can't heal hurt that you don't acknowledge. And, mm-hmm. and I really think, you know, there's this Bible verse that comes up, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. It's almost like you got to go through the one to get to the comfort side. Um, does that make sense? And does that ring true that if, uh, with what you saw? Right. I mean, you need, if you lose, if, you know, if you lose a friend or lose a unit member, you need to be able to grieve that. There are a lot of people that were hurting, a lot of people that were angry as a result of, yeah. you know, a friend dying in a combat zone and uh, they're not able to go back, you know, to go and see their, you know, to go and see their uh, friend get buried and everything. So uh, it's, it, it's an important part of the chaplain's ministry to be able to help them grieve and move them through that process and to encourage them to let them know that grieving, you know, everyone grieves differently. But yet when you're in a combat zone, that's kind of intensified because you know that you're also there in a combat zone and uh, you can end up uh, being the person who's being grieved. But also the people like to see the fact that the military does take, you know, that you can take the time to grieve. It's an, it's an important part. Uh, they're not ignoring that. And that's a, that's an important role of the chaplain. I imagine it's very difficult to grieve over there for multiple reasons. You know, one, you're under fire, uh, almost, you could be under fire constantly. Uh, two, you might not know if you're the one who's going to be, like you said, you're the one that's going to be grieved because on any given day, you don't know if, if everybody's coming back or if even, even you're coming back, that's a real risk. It's a real reality. And number three, uh, what just hit me is you're saying that, you know, they wouldn't be able to show up to like what would be quote a normal funeral Um, in, in, you know, military, you have this ultra high camaraderie, this really great degree of trust. You have to, because you're entrusting other people with your life. You know, that phrase that they say over and over is have your six and you have their success for people who are watching that aren't sure what that means. It means, you know, you can't see what's behind you. So 12 o'clock, three o'clock, nine o'clock, six o'clock, you can't see what's behind you. Somebody is always watching your back. So high degree of trust, but then, you know, when a death happens, there is this grieving, there is this mourning process that must occur you, you don't get to do the things that typically stateside here, you, you know, in civilian life, we would do. We would spend a lot of time, you know, planning a funeral. We would spend a lot of time going to the funeral home. And, you know, as sad as that would be, we would go home afterwards and we would go eat and we would tell stories. And, 
you, you know, people do all these other memorial things, you know, they go, whatever, get tattoos, or they grill out, or they, you know, there's so many layers of just things whereby over here, you know, we laugh and cry all in one that are part of that process that in military, you, you just don't get. Don't, what you get is what men and, and women uh, that are chaplains provide during that, I guess, where you, you carve out this sacred space amidst what can be a lot of chaos that hopefully is controlled chaos, but there seems to be just so many layers there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there are. There are many layers to the to the fact that, uh, you know, different things going on, different concerns, but yet they're all there really uh, to grieve their partner. Yeah. Uh, what are what are some of the other things as a chaplain that you dealt with that wouldn't be that, that wouldn't be death? Uh, that would be what, are, what would be like common concerns that a soldier uh, would have that you might talk about just on the on the normal well the uh, a chaplain does a lot of counseling and normally the counseling is going to is going to be in the area of marriage counseling especially uh, being in the military it's very intensive uh, yeah. when you're when you're deployed your spouse is back home you're in the war zone uh that's when, you know, things start to, marriages start to crack as a result of that. Uh, so I, so I've counseled many on, on helping them try to reestablish their relationship with their spouse, with their wife. It was, uh, all the people that came to me were men for that. Uh, and so right. they were struggling. One, one, one airman in particular, his spouse is also in the military. She was back home and taking care of the kids. And he said that that when he gets back, his his wife is going to be leaving for her deployment. So here, some couples are, you know, both in the military. One is at home taking care of the kids. He's going to get home. But by the time he gets home, she's going to be gone. And so really very little time for them. Yeah. just going to be kind you know kind of a handshake or something and then uh and then move on and so very little time to get yeah, literally so i what would put the stress maybe in, in your words on a married couple being far apart you know they're not close where they could argue about money and sex, the two things married couples fight about the most, what, what would be the, what are you bumping into over there on that situation? Well, uh, well, a lot of times just communication. Uh, uh, people are having a hard time being able to communicate well with each other. Uh, you know, in Iraq, uh, communication was very bad. Uh, we we did email basically, and uh, there was one guy there that was real upset. He emailed his wife. You can't read or can't sense the emotion necessarily in an email. 
Right. And, and so this young guy was really getting upset because it sounded, he said his wife sounded like he was cutting him off, wasn't responding to him. And, you know, he was just going crazy. And so I was able as a, as a brigade chaplain uh, to go and get a satellite phone and get him to talk to his wife uh, for a couple minutes. And boy, yeah. the difference, the difference between him uh, before the phone call and after the phone call, uh, you know, was, was amazing because he was thanking me throughout that deployment for getting him, uh, on the phone so he could talk to his wife like that and found out that he completely misinterpreted what his wife yeah. was saying, because again, email, you don't sense the emotion. You don't when you communicate with others, not only do you hear their words, but you can get a sense of the what's going on with them, their feelings and everything, where you can't do that with an email. That well, was, I guess you're on, you're on two different wavelengths, too, now, now that you say that, because you've got, you know, someone that's in a, a, a being at home, of course, has all kinds of degrees of stress. And, you know, you're you're one person now managing the work of two and doing all the, all the carpools, all the homework and reading assignments, all of the household chores, all of the, just keeping everything going. That is a degree of stress, but being in a combat zone, totally different type of stress. You've got people that are living, I guess, two parallel, not, not just living the same life parallel, two radically different environments. And most of the time, I guess if you're on deployment, you're on different time zones. So you're not even, I mean, it just really just tosses off a lot of what we would take up as, as just regular stuff. Um, we've, we've talked about so far, you and I dealing with helping people deal with grief, dealing with just normal, everyday, common, what would be common concerns as a pastor, as a shepherd, as a chaplain. Uh, this third area that I want to talk about is, you know, one of the most, I hear it a lot, common questions that civilians ask uh, military personnel, which if, if you're a civilian or watching, this is a question you should never ask is, you know, did you shoot somebody? Did you kill somebody? Um, so should never ask that question. But obviously you were in an environment where that occurred, that had to happen as part of the line of duty. Uh, the question is, how do you, or what do you say to help soldiers reconcile that? Because a lot of the men and the women that we interact with in the Centers of Hope through the Word Hope curriculum, that is a weight that they carry, is at some point, you know, Scripture says you shouldn't kill, and then in war, many times to protect life, it's necessary to to take life. Uh, the, you know, there are instances where I remember one from one of the films where one of the gentlemen, I'll share the clip this week or put a link in the show notes where he he said there was someone dressed as a civilian that had a gun that was open firing, and uh, you know his commanding officer looked at him and said, "Take him out." And he said, excuse me. And he said, take it. And, you know, and he had not yet had to pull the trigger in combat. And there was that hesitation, even though 
he knew if I don't do this, dozens and dozens of people in that moment, not hypothetically in the future, are going to die right then, including probably some of his fellow service members. Was still difficult, still scarred him, still required some counseling and a lot of encouragement and a lot of walking. How do you, how, how is it from the pastoral side, from the chaplain side, not from the just rationalizing it like, you know, we, we do, but from the pastoral side, how do you shepherd people through that dilemma? Mm, good question. First of all, bring out the, bring out the fact that uh, biblically, in Exodus, where it says you shall not murder, it doesn't say you shall not kill, but you shall not murder. Uh, and the murder that they're talking about is more like somebody uh, who's angry, who hates someone, who's waiting, and who takes someone's life. We see not long after that in Exodus 20, we see that uh, that there is a uh, that there is uh, killing as a result of breaking certain laws uh, that there, that there are soldiers in the in the Old Testament that Israel had military and they took lives so they were doing you know they were doing their job they were doing what was right so a lot of it is is misunderstanding the you know the sixth commandment that says that you shall not murder it's not you it's not you, you shall not kill but you shall not murder also, uh, in Ecclesiastes, it said that there's a time to kill. Uh, you know, Bible also talks about that we're to defend those that are weak. So, uh, you know, we can bring we can bring that uh, up. And also in Romans 13 talks about the government, talks about that the government is there to to encourage the good, but also to do uh, to. Uh, do what needs to be done for the evil to protect the people. So, uh, in the big picture, uh, killing is allowed within certain frameworks. Uh, you know, the government, police, uh, yeah. things like this. So they are, you know, so they are authorized. Uh, so being able to help them see that, making and, that distinction between murder which mm -hmm. would be, you know, in pastoral language, sin, wrong, right. crime, punishable, um, killing, which would be taking a life, but there, there might be on the killing side, justification, uh, war would be one of them, one, one, one of, the of those justifications. And, that, and, and, you know, as you mentioned a little earlier, when you're out there and, and someone is shooting, you have to worry about not only yourself, but also your own buddies. So uh, you need to be able to, you, you need to be able to fight in order to protect them too. And, and they do the same to protect you. Right. Now, as a chaplain, my, I couldn't carry a weapon. I, that was something that I, that uh, we were told that we weren't supposed to do. So I had a chaplain's assistant who was supposed to protect me. And that the and she, and you know she carried her own M16 and whatever else she needed. 
So, but anyhow, as far as, but as far as that goes, it was being able to make that distinction between the killing and the murder, uh, helping clarify a little bit about the, you know, about the sixth commandment. Yeah. And that makes sense. And I would, uh, and I would emphasize too beforehand, before people, we need a deeper, I think we need a deeper understanding of, uh, of the Bible and what the Bible was teaching about killing and murder and also about the nature of sin, because I think many people go are in the military, don't have a real in-depth knowledge of the scripture, have a good Christian world and life view, which would help them. It's, it doesn't make it, doesn't make it easier necessarily but right. to have a good Christian world and life view uh, and seeing the depths of sin and how God deals with sin, where he dealt with the uh, dealt with, you know, the sin and the flood and uh, dealt with Israel and uh, uh, Babylon and uh, how he dealt with Israel again and, you know, the Roman army. So sin, I mean, sin, we need to see how awful sin really is. With that, we it's we can have a it'll help us in our if we're in the military and we're dealing with people that are doing evil as well as you know helping it would help the police too in that in that regard as as part of the government who's trying to protect those that are doing right. Yeah, it's, it seems to me that may, maybe what's happened is we've. Um, just correct me if I'm wrong, or let me know if this makes sense, that maybe we have dumbed down uh, maybe our definition of what's wrong, what's sin, what's uh, unacceptable. And if we would elevate that back up, it would also let us elevate up the enforcement that was needed on certain things. You know, in weakening the one, we've also weakened the power that you know, police officers, that's big going on. right. And for sure, there are guys that do it wrong and enforce their power in, um, you know, harmful ways. But, but that's so, that is so rare. It's such the, the radical minority. Um, and by continuing to, to lower the definition of what's wrong, and we, we seem to be lowering the definition or the empowerment of a soldier's or a first responder's ability to enforce uh, the definitions of everything get weaker. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just maybe kind of fleshing some of that out as you say that. Mm-hmm. And well, I mean, just trying to develop that good, that Christian world and life view, trying to really get a good understanding of God, but also uh, an understanding of who we are, that we're made in the image of God, but we're also uh, we're also fallen, and uh, and people out there that are fallen, uh, uh, the evil that can be done by fallen people, the evil that can be done by believers still who are uh, uh, who you know who are changed, but at the same time are still struggling. Uh, you know, if we develop that, if we can, uh, you know, tweak it out, work it out, yeah. uh, have a good, strong uh, view of what scripture says about man. Uh, I mean, uh, as one man said that probably the best, uh, the best evidence for Christianity in some way is the evil in the world, because, uh, 
be, you know, because in order to have the, in, in order to understand the evil, you have to know that there's, that there's good behind it. In other words, you can't understand the evil without knowing that there's uh, objective good back there. Right. Uh, as, I, I think as C.S. Lewis put it, you know, he, you know, he saw, uh, he saw a crooked line, but how would he know it's crooked unless he had a knew what a straight line was? And so in the same way, uh, dealing with the issue or the problem of evil, how do we know it's evil unless we have this sense that we know what's good out there, something that is uh, something that is objectively good. And so trying to really bring it down to that uh, understanding God, understanding uh, the, uh, his goodness, understanding his understanding his love, what he has done for us, that, and what his son has done on the cross, that his yeah. son took that evil on himself, and he took our sin, uh, was, was raised from the dead, so that anyone who, who can turn and, and trust in Jesus, uh, they're saved, and they have a new life, and they can use that, or they can live that out, whether it's in the military, police, or whatever area that they're working in and see that there is evil out there and they can deal with evil uh, yeah. or they have a way to deal with evil now that they're believers. Yeah. Well, it's all been super helpful, you know, and enlightening about what chaplains do. And then, you know, really, I think more importantly than that, from our conversation today, uh, helping shed some light on, again, we've been talking about moral injury on the podcast lately. And one of the biggest issues is, hey, I had to do things uh, in war that I, I I felt were wrong. And help, having you shed some light on that from a biblical standpoint of how soldiers uh, could view that, I think it's going to bring people some, uh, not necessarily make it easy, um, but show them there there is some healing from that in light of having you know a better different uh, perspective on what actually happened, what's permissible, and and the bounds that they do have uh, in, in which to do their job. Uh, thank you so much. I'm going to put a link down below in the show notes, Don, where people can jump over uh, to some of the resources that you have on your website. I know there's articles, there are other, uh, there's even things, coupons where veterans can get a discount when they go out to eat. So you've got uh, items there of high substance and uh, resources that would be intellectual and give you uh, just a, another worldview and perspective that are helpful. And then there's also things that are helpful that are just as easy as, you know, getting 20, 25% off or getting something free when you go out to eat. So a lot of resources there um, that you've provided. Thank you so much for your time, for coming on, for sharing. Thank you for your service uh, and for continuing to live out that mission of helping other people who are coming uh, behind you, even now still serving um, that, that whole role as a chaplain, I guess, you know, like they say, you know, once, uh, servicemen always once a, you know, chaplain always continuing to walk that out. Mm -hmm. And that I'm doing that. First of all, I would say, if you find yourself struggling with moral injury, 
I would encourage you to go back to the previous episode and really watch. In that episode, I break down some of the teaching straight from chapter three of the Warrior Hope curriculum. This is the curriculum. This is the leader's guide where if you want to lead others and train others, if that's part of your mission, you can grab hold of that. This is the curriculum we use when we do the Warrior Hope groups. Now, if it would be helpful for you to connect with other people, if you don't have people locally to you, look at the link in the show notes. You can join a group that we're leading right now, uh, or we'll connect you with someone else that we know that is leading a group if the time that we have uh, doesn't fit the schedule uh, that you've got. Here's three takeaways that I have grabbed from today. Number one is grief. This was the first topic that Don and I discussed. Grief really means that you must mourn in order to receive comfort. We actually referenced the Bible verse right there. Uh, Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. It's almost like to get to that comfort side of it, you've got to walk through the grief and grief is, we don't like it, but it is a normal emotion. It is part of your total soul health to be able to acknowledge it, to express it, and then to walk forward through it, taking the time uh, that it actually requires. Number two, there was a lot of family issues uh, that Don highlighted that deployment actually gives rise to uh, because people are on different schedules, they have different needs, and communication, that, that one at the bottom, like that just becomes a major issue right there. And it's not that you can't overcome all of these. You can. People have and you will. But if you know what you're dealing with and you know what you're going to face, it makes all the more sense to go ahead and grab hold of some tools that are going to empower you to move forward through what you're dealing with. Uh, That leads me to this resource. I'll put a link to it in the show notes below. This is the Hope for the Warrior Family. And as well, down in the show notes, I put a link to Eugene Cuevas' episode where he talks about not just this book, but talks about the film that's being shot, the documentary, When Trauma Comes Home. And as Eugene said in that episode, when one family member is affected, they're all affected. And so we actually need to deal with everyone. Again, that's my second takeaway of the conversation with Don. Here's the third, and this may be the most potent if you are one who served in the theater of combat. Right here, murder is not the same as killing, and killing is not the same as murder. Murder is not the same as killing, and killing is not the same as murder. Don really highlighted the idea that it's important for you to get accurate, solid, good information. It doesn't mean that it's gonna necessarily be easy, but it does arm you with an arsenal of weapons to move forward through the mental, through the emotional, through the spiritual struggles that invariably come to all people. And I would highlight this to you. Uh, The fact that you're struggling with some of these things, it doesn't mean you're awkward. It doesn't mean you're odd. It actually highlights the fact that you are normal. It would not be normal for these things that you've been through, that you've endured, to not affect you. If it's a family member of yours, it would not be normal if this stuff did not affect them. The experience of deployment, the experience of combat is by definition a traumatic life-changing event. There's hope. There's healing. We're here to help. If we can, our link to the contact page on our website, all of that is below. I'm Andy Jenkins signing off. I will see you again next week. 